Let us pray one more time. Lord, now as we come before you and hear your word, I pray that you would open our hearts. I pray that you would give us the grace that we need, Lord Jesus, to hear what you are saying to us so that we will be shaped by your word, so that we will know what you are saying and we will believe it. And then we will live lives of trust in you. Give us grace now to meet you here. In Jesus' name, amen. People believe some strange stuff. Have you ever thought of that? Some people believe that the measure of a man is how many toys he has. Others believe it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you love yourself. Many believe that the thing that God is most interested in is that His people are nice guys or good little girls or just plain milk toast. Let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. And yet, for those who believe them, they repeat these lies so often that in their hearts and in their minds it carries the weight of gospel. Ask any devotee of Oprah. In fact, one of Satan's biggest tactics is to get unsuspecting people to start repeating things ad nauseum so that they will think about these lies. And thinking about them will inevitably cause them to believe those lies, which automatically forms the basis on which all of their lives are built. This is a universal truth for every man, woman, and child everywhere in all of history. Don't believe me? Shall I prove it to you? I'm going to need your response here. I want you to tell me what company you think of when I say, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Alka-Seltzer. How about, I don't want to grow up Mm-hmm. How about two all beef patties? Wait, you missed the last two beats. Big Mac. How about this? This is actually, this is one I like. I'd like to teach the world. Now, you can tell me, in fact, you can even quote these jingles after Decades, right? Because they were repeated ad nauseum everywhere you turned and they just kind of sat in your head and made an impression. Now, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ created us with the, the propensity to remember things that we allow into our mind and that we nurture there. And he knew that Madison Avenue would take advantage of this. And he knew that if we would take advantage of this capacity, it would help us to become more and more the godly men he created us to be. Tonight, we are going to look at the question, who is Jesus? 
we will see Jesus' attention has turned from those who would be blind and who would blind themselves from Him. And today, Jesus instead speaks to His followers. His faithful, albeit flawed, followers. Today, Jesus speaks to Peter and His brothers and you and me. And we'll see how when we stew on what is true, especially those things that are revealed to us in God's Word, we will have more than commercial jingles in our minds forever. But we will enjoy and nurture our souls on the truth. We'll see the correct answer to this question, who is Jesus? And we'll apply it in such a way that you and I will be able to grow in our faith as well as Make a stop by some philosophical grounds that you may be uncomfortable with, but I'm going to guide you through that. And we will understand how to grow in our faith to be the men and women of God He created us to be. Tonight, our big idea is know, believe, and trust the Word of God. Today, Matthew describes for us what the essence of faith in Jesus is. And I'm going to use three categories that Christian theologian and philosophers have used to describe faith. The first one is noticia. That's a hard word, but it means knowing God's words. The first element of what it means to have biblical faith. The second element is a census. It means believing God's words. Word. We need to have a content that we know, and then we must give assent to or believe the content that we learn in God's Word. And last, the third piece of true biblical faith is fiducia. It is trusting God's Word. And that is building our lives around what the Bible has taught us and we have believed. We have allowed our minds to dwell on. Now, full disclosure, I don't believe that when Matthew wrote this gospel, he was, you know, kind of prophesying what philosophers would come up with the three elements of faith. However, I think that these categories serve us in helping us understand what the Spirit wants from you and me to learn how to think, believe, and act upon the word of truth. Specifically, in this case, about the question, who is Jesus? So let's start. We're in Matthew 16. We'll start in verse 16, 13. And we're going to talk about knowing who Jesus claims to be. Starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you and I are going to claim to be Christians, we must know, believe, and trust that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is, of course, the correct answer. This is the content. It is the foundation of what we must believe. And furthermore, whatever it is, and there is a lot more, obviously, in Scripture to believe in simply that statement, 
If we are going to be Christian, then we must subscribe to a content. Now, easily enough, all of that content is found in this book. And then when we believe, when we know and believe and trust God's word, then we will be good. But there are many who claim to have faith but are not Christians. Mormons, for example, claim to be Christian, but when they do, they are either deceived themselves or are deceiving to grab Christians into their cult. The key precepts of the Bible are anathema to Mormons. The undiminished deity and full humanity of Jesus that we talked about this morning. The authority and sufficiency of the Bible. Salvation by grace through faith. These are all denied, even mocked at by Mormons. But these doctrines, these key central beliefs of Scripture, all flow from the confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because these teachings, these three I just picked up, are central to what it has meant to be a Christian for millennia, no one who denies any of them can really honestly call themselves a Christian. Now, in these verses that we're looking at tonight, Jesus makes the point that we must believe specific content. You are the Christ, the Son of God, if we are going to be His followers. What must we believe? This statement. And this is the basic answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's the basic answer that divides us from Jews. It divides us from Muslims. And it divides us, properly understood, from Mormons and every other religion out there. This was the content. This was the specific thing that Jesus wanted the early Christians like Peter to confess. Now, more than just this statement would be revealed and greater content would become necessary as the Father and the Spirit revealed further content. But at this moment, this was enough. And this enough, all by itself, needed to be revealed to whoever was going to believe it by the Father. That's what it says in verse 17. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. My friends, we must recognize this is a truth that we can trust, that no one acknowledges the truth that the Bible teaches apart from God the Father revealing it to him or her. Jesus, wishing to emphasize the first part of our big idea today, know, believe, and trust the Word of God, continues in verse 18. He says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, if I were going through Matthew more slowly, and I wanted to go one verse at a time, we could get into the whole debate is, Peter himself the rock or is it Peter's confession that's the rock or maybe it's Peter is the founder of the church and we're supposed to take this metaphorically I'm I'm not inclined to debate all that suffice it to say that I believe that the confession that Peter makes here you are the Christ the son of the God is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the rock it's the content 
that we must believe. You are the Christ, the Son of God. And this is the rock upon which all the rest of Christian teaching is based. It's the bedrock of a body of belief that grew to be the biblical canon that is the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that every single truth you hear in the Bible comes from you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But a surprising number do. And it's, it is the gospel truth. The church, what we are experiencing today, would be built upon this foundational knowledge according to Jesus and even the gates of hell would not prevail against it. By the way, there are enough preachers in this room and this is a favorite thing for us to broach. Gates are a defense. Gates are not an offense. And I think you and I and we as a church would be healthier if we were attacking the gates of hell. Amen? Okay, let's try that again. We individually would be healthier and the church as a whole would be healthier if we instead of fighting among ourselves, we're spending our energy fighting against the gates of hell. Amen? Amen. There we go. Amen. That's right. Well, we're working on that right now. Um, now I'll stop meddling and get back to preaching. And Jesus here says something cryptic. He says in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now again, I'm trying to get a forest view of Matthew so that we understand the, the big pictures that Matthew is saying. And so I'm not going to really get into the debate here, but I do want to make two points that are recognized by most people who debate this. The first is that this verse tells us that the message of Jesus, the content of what he taught, the fact that he is the Christ, the Son of God, would continue to and prosper throughout history. Whatever you um, bind or loose in heaven. And the message of Jesus would also cause division among people throughout history as well. We can know at least those two things from this verse. But we also note something interesting, and that is that Peter himself does in fact unlock the Jews, for example, in Acts chapter 2, the Samaritans, for example, in Acts chapter 8, and the Gentiles, for example, in Acts chapter 10. In each of these chapters, we see that it is through Peter's ministry that the Holy Spirit first comes upon these individual people. And I, I think that you can make the case that that's enough to show, fulfill what Jesus is saying here without getting into all of the stuff that I'm not going to bore you with. And frankly, I wasn't willing to be bored with myself this last week in studying it. But then you get to verse 20. What on earth is going on in verse 20? Jesus then strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he is the Christ. Wait a minute. Didn't we just get the confession, you are the Christ, the Son of God? Listen, Jesus did not want this bit of content, you are the Christ, the Son of God, to spread abroad until it had some context. The meaning is always known and understood 
by context. He wanted to give more so that the people could understand this. Because given the culture where Jesus was at this time, going around and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God, can be very confusing. And all kinds of heresies could and probably did come from hearing this without the proper context. See, it takes the Bible as a whole to fully understand Peter's confession. It takes a lot more content to open up our hearts and our minds to the truth about Jesus and about who we are to be as men and women who reflect Him. We wish to know Jesus. And this is done through His Word primarily and then through those who have been shaped by His Word so that we get a solid understanding of what it means. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that, my friends, is exactly why you and I must know, we must believe, and then we must trust the Word of God. So our first point is we must know the Word of God. We have to have a content. We have to have something to think in our head. And then the second step is we must believe God's Word as truth. Starting in verse 21. From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord! This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. It is one thing to know the content. It is one thing to know what the Bible teaches. We have an example of someone who knows the, what the Bible teaches and doesn't prosper from it. James says in James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder because they know He is coming. Note, Jesus had just affirmed the correctness of what Peter knew. What Peter was thinking. You are the Christ, the Son of God. What Pete did with that content, however, showed that his faith was not yet complete. And the key phrase in this paragraph is set your mind. To set one's mind on something is to think about it. It's to consider it. To meditate. To believe. One of the most important capacities that you and I as human beings have is the ability to set our mind on something or to set one's mind off of something. To intentionally think about and dwell upon and believe something or to intentionally take your mind off of that. And we have, as human animals, the interesting capacity to believe things that we know are not true. How many times in your life or how much of the things you talk about and mull over in your mind are things you know really aren't true at all? Or 
things that you know really aren't worth your time spending renting property in your mind about. See, to believe something is not just to have the thought go into your head, it's to dwell on it, it's to set your mind on it. And that's why annoying songs and commercial jingles keep getting made. Have you ever watched a commercial and thought, oh my goodness, someone paid for that? Some commercials just get under the skin of your mind, so to speak, and they gnaw at you. And it's almost the dumber they are, the more they stay there. And you think, oh, I'm thinking about that again. Has anybody, am I the only one this has ever happened to? But that's the point. It gets under the skin of your mind and you start thinking about Johnson's toilet paper and you can't get it out of your mind. And so the next time you're at the store and you need toilet paper, you're faced with 20 different selections right in front of you. And so what are you going to do? Johnson's toilet paper. Oh, okay, we'll get Johnson's. It's like a Madison Avenue hand grenade. It blows up at the right time, right when you need it. You will believe things whether they are true or not when they have dug a rut in your mind, so to speak, so that when you're in that part of the road, you just automatically slip in and you're going in this direction. There's a sign in Alaska that says, choose the rut you're in wisely. You'll be in it for the next 20 miles. <laughs> so it is with our thinking. Don't believe everything you think. Be careful not to allow thoughts that are unbiblical dig a rut in your mind. When you are tempted to start thinking something you know is not true, bounce your eyes away from it. Take your mind off it. Start thinking about something else. Your verse that you're memorizing this week. You all have verses you're memorizing this week, right? Right? Okay. And, and here's where the positive thinking crowd, you know, those people who go around saying, all you, if, you, if you can name it, you can claim it, and all those things. There, there's the slightest kernel of truth in what they're saying. And the part that's true is if you go around saying, I'm worthless, or I'm no good, or I can't do it, if you go around saying stuff like that, well, it's going to be self-fulfilled prophecy. If, on the other hand, you fill your mind with the gospel, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. I am more loved and welcomed than I ever dared hope. Then you'll be in a position to understand why you sin so much and what it will take in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to dig yourself out of that rut that you're in. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the one through whom there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My friends, if you repeat this to yourself, then you will know and believe the truth about Jesus. If you repeat this to yourself, you will have hope for walking more closely with God 
yet. Believe this and you can't help but be close to your Father in heaven no matter what the circumstances are that you are living in right now. No matter what depression, no matter what sickness, no matter what backache you're going through, you start repeating this to yourself and you will start feeding on the manna from heaven. No, believe and trust the Word of God. So our first point, you need to have specific content to be a Christian. And we get that from this. There's a reason why we call ourselves Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians. Because we, we get our content from this. The second stage is we need to believe it. We need to shape our thinking by the truth. We need to set our mind on that content that is in Scripture so that it shapes how we think about all of life. And then and only then will you be able to take the next step. That is also a gift from the Holy Spirit. And that is to trust God's promises for you. Let me start reading in verse 24. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. The measure of a human being is not the color of his or her skin. The measure of a human being is not how many toys they have. The measure of a human being is not the impressive job title or the initials that follow after his or her names. The measure of every man, woman, and child is what they're willing to sacrifice for. Of course, someone said that the measure of a man is what he will lose his sanctification to gain. For many in this church, their sanctification is 1.68 inches tall. Oh, come on, guys. You've got to get this. It's a golf ball. They slice it. They get all bent out of shape. Okay, those guys, I know they know what I'm, they're, I'm talking about, but they're not talking. Got it. I understand. Stop meddling, Pastor Greg. Okay. Boy, I thought that one would do better. <laughs> Jesus' point here, however, brings the answer to the question, who is Jesus, to its logical extent. If Jesus is the Christ, if Jesus is God's Son, then what He said is worth betting on. What the Christ, the Son of God, said is worth believing. And specifically, when Jesus said that it is better for you to lose your physical life for the glory of Jesus than gaining every other material thing that you could possibly have, you can bet on it. You can be sure that if Jesus says what you would gain by gaining me is better than gaining all the toys in the universe, you can bet that that's true. 
Now, most of us in this room have absolutely no chance of gaining every material thing in the world, right? I mean, does anybody doubt me on that one? So if you and I are already at such a disadvantage and if gaining the whole world ultimately will be a loss anyways, then why do we spend so much physical and mental energy to gain the paltry portion that we are after? In other words, if we can't gain the whole world and if gaining the whole world was loss anyways, why do I lose so much sleep about the things that I don't have that I want. It's because I'm not making this connection, knowing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and trusting the Word of God. You and I must trust Jesus' promise that He is worth every sacrifice you will ever make for His glory rather than for comfort. And when we were reading that today, I thought, boy, that, that was a, a great observation. He is the God of all comfort. Not because he's handing out goodie bags, but because he himself is the comfort that you and I need. Therefore, my friends, trust the promises of God for you in Christ. Believe them. Let them mull over in your head. Let them cause deep crevasses instead of just ruts. So that it's not just it holds your tire in the road, but it puts the whole car in this huge crevasse so that you can't get out of it. And you just know that you know that you know that God's promises are better than Fort Knox. My friends, faith is simple. Christianity is simple. Christianity is knowing, believing, and trusting the Word of God. Christianity is not complex. If we know what the Bible teaches us, and you and I have more resources for knowing the Word of God than any other generation, and most nations even today, we have access to this. We get this content and then we believe it. We allow it to shape how we think. We allow it to shape then how we live by trusting it and living in such a way that it is obvious to yourself and to all those who are around you that you are betting your life on the fact that Jesus is going to come through his promise on his promises for you. So know, believe, and trust the Word of God. So a common way that Christians have talked about all of this that I've said, I'm going to sum up the whole sermon in one idea. And it won't get so highfalutin philosophizing that's above your, your thinking. Love Jesus with your head. Love Jesus with your heart. And love Him with your hands. Your head your heart, and your hands. Put God's Word in your head. Let it soak in there and get down to your heart. And while it brews around in your heart, it won't 
it's not possible for it not to get out to your hands. You'll start changing your attitudes. You'll start changing your actions so that when you stand before any court at home or work or at the store, people will recognize that you have been with Jesus. I've said it before. Time in God's Word is the most important of all the spiritual disciplines because every other spiritual discipline depends on your time in God's Word. You cannot pray aright. You cannot fast aright. You cannot give tithes and offering aright until you have marinated in what God has to say about Himself and about yourself. And in this pressure cooker that we call life, as we spend time in God's Word, we will discover and then we'll believe and then we'll trust that it is our loving Father in Heaven who is turning up and turning down the heat so that you will be the man or woman of God He has created you to be. Go to God's Word so that you will know Him better and as you know Him better, you will therefore, by definition, love Him and trust Him more. So, trust, believe, know, believe, and trust the Word of God. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious, Heavenly Father, I pray that You would meet us today. And God, that Your Holy Spirit would empower us to meet You in Your Word every day so that our heads and our hearts and our hands will be changed and empowered to be the men and women of God you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.